This is not a recruitment podcast. Welcome back to another episode of the Powered by People podcast. Um, joined by William J. Brewer, Talent Strategy Director of the Rec Hub. Yeah, that's his official name. Um, and I'm going to give this a go. Maria, I'm going to skip the... the... Maria Munoz. Linaje. <laughs> Maria Linaje Munoz. <laughs> so we're gonna we're gonna let Maria introduce herself because uh, I'm clearly not equipped for the Spanish Spanish accent. We'll we'll get there. Thanks, Harry. Yeah. So uh, hi, Bill. Hi, Harry. My name is Maria Linaje Muñoz, and there you I'm go. Director of People and Talent at Alteos in Berlin. Fantastic. And today we're going to talk about um, a range of challenges that we have all experienced around this table. Um, through the the challenge that comes with scaling, onboarding, um, and getting people up to speed. Something that has been a pretty prominent topic for lots of conversations that we've all we've all had on this uh, on this podcast. So we're going to dive into that a little bit. Um, why don't Bill? Why don't you kick us off with some of the the challenges that you think we've experienced in particularly on buildings. This topic, I mean, this year's obviously not been a, a year for many companies to be scaling more companies go the opposite direction, but I think we're perfect time to talk about it. Yeah, I think we're starting to see the market change and people are starting to get back to hiring and people even more so now are um, really focusing on the right key hires and they don't want to be making mistakes in their hiring as they start to hire again. So this topic of um onboarding how to onboard the right skills in the interview process for soft skills um you and i both know we made a lot of mistakes in this in the rec hub where did we scaling um sometimes um wrong hires people we thought were going to be um we maybe right skills wrong soft skills for the type of business we were trying to create grow and create um i think we as you grow fast you kind of miss that sometimes and you downplay how important it is yeah. um and it's not like a 50-50 soft skills versus hard skills. I think there's more of a, a weighting to it on the soft yeah. skill side as you scale that kind of gets downplayed. So, yeah. I think also infrastructure. I think we, we miss, uh, you know, hiring the right people or wrong people is one challenge when, when the, one of the obvious challenges when scaling, but having the infrastructure to com- to, to manage a bigger workforce mm. Um, we weren't quite as uh, we have haven't grown quite as large as, as Alteos, but um, going from sort of ten to fifty in a pretty quick period of time, there, there's some of the some of those earlier challenges for even like having a HRIS. <laughs> yeah. We weren't we didn't really have anything like that. What about you, Maria? Yeah, same thing. Um, that talking about skills, the one thing we discovered that was very interesting is that the soft skills needed um, or the type of employee needed in, in a startup is different to the one um, you need in a scale-up. And yeah. and we had all of these amazing, beautiful people who loved wearing many hats, doing many things, just grabbing 
a project and running with it, mm -hmm. whether it was in their area of expertise or whether they just wanted to learn or were excited about it. And then suddenly you bring on all of these other people who come with with promises and with skills and with experience, with expertise, with quality. And um, and they sort of take away some of those projects. And, yeah. and those who love wearing many hats now have to wear just a few of them. And... And I guess that we we underestimated preparing them for that. First of all, yeah. realizing that it's different people. Yeah, yeah. Some people love to go in depth and be really good at what they do and show their best self. Um, and other people just just adore doing so many different things. And that that is something I personally had to learn. Um, it's really interesting. Actually, I didn't think about that one because we had similar challenges, particularly when you're when we were five, ten people everyone's very, very close. And then, uh, you know, not that we scale to hundreds of thousands of people, but simply going to 50 or 60, uh, particularly the leadership's time was taken away in different areas yeah. and meant that some of those people that were maybe in the, the earlier tranches of hiring didn't get to see or or spend time with, with the leadership team as much as they were used to. And that that in itself created some challenges, right? Yeah, and I, I don't. I mean, looking back now, we we never had that trans preparation for transition with people in the team. Like we yeah. never we never geared them ready for what the changes were going to look like or how their roles going to change in the business. We kind of just moved on and the business grew. But then when you look back, you're like, well, yeah, you can understand why that person on day didn't feel like they were part of it as it mm. grew because you didn't prepare them. And you don't you don't want to lose that, right? You mm -hmm. don't want to lose people who just want to see work and grab oh, grab it and do it. Yeah. It's it's such an awesome culture to have to somebody say, Well, I, I work in finance, but I see this um diversity and inclusion problem and I wanna be part of that and I wanna help and so you, you, you love that mentality, but at the same time you have to start specializing people so that you yeah. can start documenting stuff and you can yeah. start setting up quality standards. Um, so, so keeping that culture, keeping the flexibility, mm. keeping the um, get work done mentality, and at the same time, giving people clear roles and clear tasks, and uh, yeah. start bringing processes in, I find um, a really important um, balance to strike. For sure, for sure. Um, give it, if you can just remind us, like, sort of when you joined Alteos, where were you at, and, and sort of where where are you? Where have you scaled to? Yeah, I, I joined a year ago in August um, 22, and we were about 50 employees. Um, and we are now just over 100. So we've right, double in size, yeah. yeah. And and you were saying that these are, aren't maybe the most typical times to scale, which is true. Um, but it doesn't take anything away from, you know, any old startup that is successful that gets funded yep. and that has made plans and promises to uh, their investors yep. and has to, you know, um, figure it out, figure it out and make true of those promises. Um, and then AI comes around the corner and says, oh, there goes your technology strategy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, okay, we thought we were building this digital journey. Well, now it looks different. So you get all of these different challenges. You know, the economy is difficult. I mean, the war is very near to Germany, still is, and it's still yeah. a big problem. Um, and um, and then that technology basically, uh, uh, AI basically questioned everything. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. What was our technological vision and what we should offer and what made, made us competitive. Um, so, yeah, it's many, many things too. I, I think this is the time really when, you know, 
businesses have an opportunity to just take a minute, breathe, understand how to, you know, if they're going to be scaling over the next uh, six or 12 months or, or even further, what does their business need to look like? What, how do, how do we position those organizations in order to start scaling? Because when you're in it and you're scaling and you haven't, and if you haven't thought about those challenges, well then you're potentially going to be experiencing loads of attrition and people not, you're not getting the most out of people, right? So although not many businesses are, are in hyper scale, um, it's a really good moment to take a breath before you have to ge- go back to that, right? Yeah. What's our, what's our, if we were, if we had somebody in the room now that was, uh, you know, 50, 25, 50 people, and they were going on a journey to hire a hundred, what would we recommend as our top tips? What would we suggest that they should start looking at right now? Silence. <laughs> I mean, I was going to, let me jump on the last point, and this point is still relevant to it, was, is, it's not necessarily like slow and steady wins the race, but plan, 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 like do a SWOT analysis on what your business is going to look like at 50 and what mm. challenges you're going to face. If our business was 50 tomorrow, mm. what, um, what challenges will we face by being 50? And if we got there, start to picture yourselves in that position before it actually grows. I think it's not being scaled up over the last years. They just said, let's hire and then worry about those problems when mm. we get there. Um, whereas I think now, um, and it's different for every single business, which is why you, know, you can't really give a blanket answer, but the more planning you can do and visualizing, right, if we get to 100, what structures do we have in place for that? What do we need to change? Who do we need to prepare? Who do Who can step up into different roles and what about these people that were early on what can they do in the business what can they bring really simulate what it's going to look like as you grow as opposed to what roles do we need in the business to get there if that makes yeah sense. i kind of like the idea um just thinking about it of doing um uh, mapping out a, a, an employee experience you know like you do a customer experience journey man you could do that you do the same for for your employees so uh, you know, from recruitment all the way through to exit. <laughs> yeah. And and do we have the right processes in place for each of those touch points with the organization? Whether that's a one a monthly one to one or a six month self self assessment, how are those being conducted? How are they being I know we've talked a lot about documentation in the past, like yeah. how are we documenting those things? And that can then almost inform uh, the technology that's needed, whether that, you know, when you're looking at your HRIS or your ATS recruitment platform or your engagement software. Absolutely. And that's one of the first things we implemented um, a year ago when we decided it was time to scale. <clears throat> and um, we we realized very quickly that the way we were hiring at the time was very um, intuitive yeah. um, and, and based on, you that's- know, Whoever, yeah. whoever was actually d- doing the interview and whoever knew something about the topic. I think a lot and, of startups do that, though. Yeah, and and there, and there was no journey, there was no skills journey, and then we said, okay, well, w- you know, we're losing some of these people early on, maybe because we're not making good on our promise when mm. they start, or the other way around, and which means that there was no alignment, and, yeah. and and the alignment starts with ourselves. So, what are some of those skills we're looking for, and mm. what are some of the must-have skills and the nice-to-have skills, yeah. and then make sure that they through from the job description to the interview questions to the um, hiring decision to the compensation to the potential career development the next step so you know the journey you were talking about because 
it, I mean, it, it, one thing is to actually find the right people, and 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 it's not an easy task to get people to to lead good quality yep. interviews. Yeah. That is very difficult. But then to actually make good on the promise and make sure you retain the people and you can actually develop them is well, like uh, you say, it's, it's an expensive process to bring them in. Yeah. So if we if we don't make sure that we're doing everything we can to keep them, Absolutely. then it just becomes even more expensive to go hire somebody else, right? Yeah. And and if there's another thing we I think we underestimated is how immensely um, comfortable with ambiguity they have to be. Mm. Because it's not just that you change from a startup to a scale-up. It is also that um, the strategy changes. And you're, you're trying to grow as an organization. So you're trying to bring in business. So you're trying to you know put products out there. And you're trying to go for new industries and new markets and and you're, it's trial and error and, you know, it's a very agile process and people have to be comfortable putting all of their effort into developing something, put the going to market and then maybe having to sundown it before, you know, it's even successful. And it, that has to be okay. Uh, and it has to be quick. Um, mm. And um, yeah, exactly. And then um, have the skill, have the, uh, another thing that, I, that we try to do, we're setting that up right now is try not to just have the skills that people have in the current role or they were yep. hired for, but actually have a full picture of that skill. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because then once you change in your product verticals and you look at other markets, you can actually use some of those skills. Transferable skills. I mean, you know, if you take me, I used to work in hotel business. And so if we're thinking of insuring anything in hotels, yeah, yeah. Um, Instead of having to go and, you know, hire the services of a consultant, well, I have a network and I've yeah, been, yeah. been in it for a long time. But if we do not have the full set of all skills of our employees, really, you just don't really know, you know. So you need to have a profile, a bit like an internal LinkedIn, yeah. um, where where you can then give people a second, a third and a fourth chance based on everything they are and everything they know and not just their control. It's really interesting, especially for we go back to that point about people who are at the start of the business's journey. Yeah, um, and as they as the company develops, are we pro profiling them enough to know? Okay, they can really get involved in that actually, because they're not going to have as many hats, like you say, as the business grows. But they've got skills that you can certainly use in other areas yeah. as the business grows. It's a really interesting point actually. And you and you give them internal career opportunities. We've, we've done that three or four times. I mean, we're still small; we're only a hundred people big. But there's already been a few cases of of people who. As we have seen them work, we've realized you, you're doing a really good job, but you'd be amazing in this other place. And yeah. so there was one team member, she she was a, a um, in product management, and she just turned out to be um, our head of project management. Mm -hmm. And she's setting up all the processes and all the standards, and she's training everybody. And she's just amazing at what she does, and it's not what she initially came in with. So you 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 really need to know people well so that you can use your workforce flexibly um, and it saves you a lot of money by not having to you know maybe make people redundant and bring yeah. money particularly when there's so many economic changes right and and your business needs to change with the times really getting that full picture of an employee maybe not even where they're they're cutting not just where the where the current skill sets lies but where they want to develop yeah. skill sets as well because i think particularly if people have a passion they're going to be more um they're going to be quicker to develop in that space than than maybe hiring somebody um to do it but i mean 
on your director of people hat on, I think, have you had to work with line managers quite a lot to identify these soft skills? Because the business gets bigger, you can't be the one identifying all these soft skills in everyone. So have you had to work with hiring managers and upskilling them to notice um, soft skills in people that you could transfer into other areas and things like that as well? Absolutely, yeah. So before, when, when the hiring managers or the line managers come to us and say, we, we need a whatever, a, a team member, yeah. um, I we tend to sit down with them and, and look at the full picture of the whole team. Yeah. Um, and I even go back another step and I said, okay, well, but um, what are you even achieving this year? What what are you working towards? And and why are you looking for this and that role? And what does this and that you know role have to um, deliver? Mm-hmm. And and do you not already have? I try to challenge them so that you can complete the team and say, well, don't you have? this skill already yeah, it, or not don't yeah. you need you know a balance don't you need somebody who strikes up a bit controversial discussions yep. that you know a bit more diverse input diversity uh, cool. Fine. absolutely so yes we 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 definitely do that i i try to um we have a process where um any hiring decision starts at workforce planning yeah and workforce planning always goes back to how is our team contributing to the overall strategy? Yeah. I mean, actually, any team um, effort aligning to the uh, overall company strategy is yeah. not difficult in a in a company that only has three levels. Yeah. Um, so any team basically delivers directly into into top, yeah. and um, and so you know we go all the way back and say, okay, what are you doing, and how is this helping what we want to achieve this year, next year, mm-hmm. in the next three years. And then what do you need for that? And how do you think this is going to play out um, in two years or in yeah. three years? Um, how is this going to evolve? Um, it's actually always very interesting, um, especially as we talk about our engineering teams, our product teams. Yeah, that's it. Because you've got like hiring manager needs and business needs that come into it, right? You're looking at yeah. what the hiring manager needs in their team per se for a certain task or certain area of that team. But then you're looking at it from a, a wider picture to say, Okay, but they also need to bring this, this, and this because as the business grows, they might need to evolve into this area. So we need to include this in the job description. So it's a um, a paired decision, not just a hiring manager saying. Because that's often what happens, I think, in some businesses where the hiring manager has all the power in their decision making in the yeah. hiring, and they hire people that suit them, and then they and, leave or they change role. Yeah, and then that's what disrupts business. Or that team is so knitted together that they can't integrate with the rest of the business. Or they can't move, and they start Absolutely. facing these challenges as well. Absolutely. They build, they, they tend to build teams. The, the decision of hiring managers are often very operational and very immediate. Yeah. Um, and um, unless you have this conversation about, you know, what are you going to achieve next year and the year after? Or what are we all working towards as an organization? And what do we think we can and want to achieve? Um, unless you have that conversation, there is a big tendency to solving just today. One thing I think um, I would definitely recommend anyone looking or anyone going through any scaling challenges, and I don't know if you've experienced this, Maria, but maybe it was more me than anyone else in the business, but I had a tendency to knee-jerk into, you know, make quick changes or, you know, this sounds like a good idea, and then 30 seconds later we bought a new piece of tech, signed up for four years. Um, (laughs) That sounds like a CEO to me. (laughs) (laughs) If I've ever heard one. <laughs> Harry, we would say, yeah, let's see if he brings it up a second time. <laughs> it's like buying something in a shop. You walk away and say, yeah, exactly. and I still think about it tonight. I remember reading an engagement survey once and someone had written like, maybe we should just like, oh, you know, uh, make a like 
just wait when we decide that we need something in the business we wait to see if it actually is needed rather than just doing it and implementing it and changing it again i'll sit and i think that is all me <laughs> it's all me <laughs> I have a, so in, my, in the past, in one of my, my past jobs, I, I had to enable an agile transformation um, in another tech company. And I was uh, with my team, I was completely submerged in this fundamental agile mindset of doing everything around your customer, everything yeah. around your customer need. And so the, I, I think to this day, there is nothing that I, that I do that is not first surveyed or asked yeah, you know, um, and and test it, you know, and and saying, well, are you sure you need it, and why do you need it, and can't we solve it in a cheaper or in a different way, and is this short term or is it long term? We have and the resources now, because yeah. I, I, you know, I can, I won't, I won't mention the the specific piece of tech. Bill probably knows what I'm talking about, <laughs> but we had a pretty good solution. <laughs> <laughs> but you wanted it. <laughs> but I just saw something shiny. Um, I thought that looks pretty good. We used it for three months. Um, and there goes. Uh, yeah, there's an SDR like book out there. I'm sure it just says, "Call this guy." Yeah, Sal, call this guy. Call Barry. <laughs> but but we're joking. But it is actually absolutely true because. Um, I arrived in this company at a time when everybody could more or less order whatever they wanted and it was okay because the group was so small that the, it was easier to control, it was easier to oversee uh. and it was normal to just send a mail to office management and with a link and say, please order this. Yeah, this. And there was no approval process and there was no questions asked basically. And now um, there has to be one because otherwise, um, yeah. What was it yeah. like in the first months where you obviously joined um you joined like you said at 50 people which is such a crucial time in transition from being everyone does a bit of everything startup to putting process in place and you obviously came in and had to say do we need that do i do we need that why do you do it like that and stuff to challenge what were those early months like when you had to start challenging some of the old ways of doing things? maria was the most like person in I was, I was, <laughs> did you hear a christmas card from anyone <laughs> i was the favorite person for everybody. <laughs> well, that's the point. I've never got a Christmas Still coffee. Still out I was torn because I came into an organization where that, that felt like a big family where everything was possible. And, and, yeah. and um, I, I wanted to be part of that too. I wanted to also just be able to send things and order stuff yeah. to be happy and, um, and just buy nice things because the office looks nice and, and <laughs> tasty things because they're tasty and make people happy. The office looks great. It, who, office who, who did this? Oh, a, a team of people. It was a cross-functional um, a team and um, it, in good old Agile manner, we did a survey. <laughs> <laughs> and we asked for all that. Actually, it was a very good time to expand because um, it was a time we all came back from the pandemic. We People, Cheap office where, rights. you know, uh, yeah, where people coming back into the office where they not did they prefer work from home, and so we asked, we said, what what keeps you from coming to the office, or what would make you come this back? Any interesting? I was talking about this in another podcast because we, yeah. we had a conversation about this, and yeah. I remember you saying your expectation was like, oh, you want a pool table and a games room, but no, it was actually way more logical, right? Oh, absolutely. Quiet space was a big one that came up, right? Which quiet, space, quiet space to be able to work. And, and prayer room, yeah. yeah. There, there were people who said they needed to pray several times a day, and that's why they stayed home. And since we have the prayer room, they come all the time. And this was a really interesting one. I think you guys have done amazingly well. Correct me if I'm wrong, you've never really set like 
Uh, maybe it's changed now, but originally it was never really set about what days or how much you have to come in. But you, your your ethos was build a place that people want to come in. Yeah. Um, yeah. It was never about you have to come in. You wanted to build a place that people wanted to come in to build an office culture, which I think a lot of businesses struggle with how to get people into an office. And they end up yeah. just going down the route of you have to come in these days. But it said- brings us back to scaling, right? Because, I mean, we, we've worked with you guys and you've helped us bring amazing people to the organization. Um and Great plug for the record. <laughs> and um, but many of these people we've brought from very far away. Yeah, you know, we've brought from from literally from their hometowns. Uh, we've brought them to Berlin, and it's just a kind of a step for many people yeah. to take. Um, and we really wanted this to be a place where th- that would make it easy for them to be develop relationships away from home, develop relationships, feel comfortable, yeah. feel that they've arrived, feel that they have a safe place uh, you know to to get to know people and um um I, I just think it's i imagine it to be very difficult um and so that was very important and obviously um it was actually also a podcast that i wish i remembered the name but i don't anymore and and that was the recommendation was really people will only come to the office if either you force them or they really want to yeah, yeah. it's their preferred place and so that's what you have to ma- and then i asked myself well what do they want? And I yeah. honestly didn't know. And I yeah. thought it was going to be all of these fun things. Yeah. And it, it, it ended to be being really... Pragmatic? Almost. Well, things that enable good quality work, yeah. focus, but also socializing, yeah. relaxing. So a, a good balance, basically. Yeah. I've never seen... Uh, well, you used to have a games room, basically, didn't you? In your old office. Yeah. But we had a, I mean... Uh, like a 21, 22-year-old workforce at that time. Yeah, you have young recruiters and it's like, well, we'd tell them to come to the office, what makes it fun? And they would all play games every lunch break and stuff. But we're talking very old school now when you had set lunch break between 12 and 1 o'clock. <laughs> if you were on the phone at 12.05, tough luck. <laughs> well, if you all want yeah. to play together, you had to yeah, exactly. take your lunch break yeah. at the same time. When we started, it was 10, 10 o'clock, 15-minute fag break. Yeah, I remember 12 o'clock, one hour lunch break, four o'clock, 15 minute coffee break. It was that. The, the, phone, the phone would ring at like 11.55 and you didn't answer that phone. You didn't answer <laughs> that phone and you're stuck on a call. You're missing your lunch break. Yeah, there's no it like. Sounds surreal. There's no like, oh, I, I was on the phone until half 12. All right. Yeah. Lunch finishes at one. So don't eat. eat but that's an interesting conversation too, because we very often get the question, um, you know, what are our working hours if we come to the office or if we don't have oh. working hours. And um, and we always talk about, you know, working hours based on trust, which means, I mean, of course, you sort of have very loosely, you say, okay, work sort of starts around nine, it sort of ends around 6 p.m. and you have around one hour lunch break. But if, I mean, most of our employees are anything between 30 and 40, I'd say, or yeah. 20 something and the majority of them. And um, and so there's many people who um, have hobbies and many people who have very small children. And so some just, you know, have to bring their, their kids to school first. And so they show up later and others have to pick them up. And so they leave a little bit earlier and then they they work a little bit later. And so I, I find that that works really, really well. Yeah. Um, but then again, of course, you know, if if you can't have it both ways, then you have some people who say, well, but why do I get a mail after six or why do I get a mail on Friday at eight? And said, well, honey, you can't have it both ways. 
you know, like, you, know you, you you can't demand and then not give. Yeah. Um, so it's either one or it's the other. And we can go back to what you just said. Yeah. Everybody's sitting at nine o'clock, 15 minutes, one hour, 15 minutes, everybody. Do you prefer that? Um, no. no <laughs> yeah. You're right. That's where you have to be director of it as well, right? I mean, we, I we say sometimes flexibility, often companies pander and be like, oh, no, it's fine. You can do and don't be direct. So, but if you're on the flexibility, it works both ways. Right? Yeah. And I think you have, you have it to has be to. direct with that sort of stuff. I've heard the term impact over hours. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, it, because the reality is I, you could be sat at a desk nine till five and do nothing. Fuck all. Are we allowed to swear on this podcast? Yeah. Fuck all. I don't know. I'll just swear. <laughs> sorry. I wonder if any sorry, listen, listen, listeners have uh... <laughs> <laughs> Have I sworn yet? Yeah, oh, I've got that Sorry. Sorry for all my un- young <laughs> listeners. Okay. <laughs> So impact over hours, yeah. I think you know you could have someone sat there doing nothing for for eight hours a day. Absolutely. You know, they're technically doing their hours, um, but or you could have someone that's maybe uh, taking a, a bigger advantage of those flexible working hours, but actually achieving a hell of a lot. Yeah. So yeah, but it's a fine balance, and it also depends on your your role. I don't know. I've heard differing views on this because some roles engineering for example you can be very isolated you're working on that you know specific part piece of code and you could go yeah. and, and do that fix the problem deploy etc or you could be you know in in our sense uh your role is client facing yes. so you may be getting a lot done but if you're not available at certain times that you're you, you have to be there yeah. we just had a little walk around the office, didn't we? What are we now we're recording this at five PM. Um people in meeting rooms having big collaborative meetings yeah. and you can see someone on the whiteboard and me walking around, I'm like, it's amazing. You're not gonna have that at home. And you can yeah. most collaborating yeah. and engaging with each other and innovating yeah. with each other and you just don't get that. It's like, very difficult. Yeah. Absolutely. Look, very, very, one of the things that people said in that survey also is that they stay home because they cannot focus because yeah. there's so much going on. And yeah. it's a lot of fun being here, but if you really want to concentrate, it's very yeah, difficult. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. we had to set up this silence room that we call the sound of silence, <laughs> where um, actually you're not allowed to be disturbed and you're not allowed to be spoken to and you're not allowed to make noise so that people have one place in the office where... You know, you could just go. You would get stuff done. You would be banned. I would not be allowed in the room. You would be banned from. Uh, I just imagine Harry in the front. I'm all my ADHD fellow. Yeah, that would be torture. If you ever want to torture Harry, stick him in that room for a day. <laughs> no, yeah, not allowed to sell. Well, <laughs> <laughs> oh, not really painting the best picture of myself in this podcast. <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's you're amazing. It's true. It's the truth. It's the truth. That's that's the reality. I remember being every time I'm on a laptop, just doing an email, and I'll hear, "Bill, Bill," and bang the table. I'm like, clearly, I'm doing something. <laughs> I told Bill, I perfected the art of grabbing yeah, attention. Yeah. Be very loud, very aggressive. <laughs> so you would be the employee. You would say, "Did don't you want to work from home today?" Why don't you? I, you know, we're a fully remote company and yet we've got an office that I work in because <laughs> I, I just can't work from home. I'm either in the fridge or in the garden but, or but you're on right. Netflix. I can't, I just can't work. We from... make a big effort to get in the office because we're remote, right? And I live in London, I live about an hour and 45 minutes away. And 
a 45 minutes to an hour away, not an hour and 45 minutes. Close anywhere. Um, really? But we'll make a big offer, uh, uh, make a big effort to get in the office together because that's when we get a lot of our collaboration. Yeah, and I think, uh, you know, particularly, you know, the last six to 12 months have been pretty tough in recruitment. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and sometimes if you're more isolated when you're in those leadership and sales roles, particularly the more isolated you are, the more difficult that is mentally. Yeah. So the more you can get together, the more you can, you know, give each other the boost, that that, that mental boost that that you sometimes needed, no matter what role you're in, everyone needs it. Yeah. Back to the original topic, which we was onboarding, um, onboarding people and maintaining a culture. If mm. they can come into the office and see what it's like to work here and see the attitude that people apply and see how passionate they are about collaborating. It's very difficult, I find, to do that in a remote organization, if it's fully remote, to get them to get into that culture. And without a doubt, um, it is the one thing that everybody repeats when we ask them what made you take a decision to actually sign with us and... Um, what were you looking forward to? It it was always, oh, you seem to have such a cool ambience in the office and yeah. so much going on and yeah. we love the vibe. And um, so it, it, it you know, it makes people sign. So you, then you have to maintain it. You have to keep it up and people have to. Um, so in this office, uh, Mondays and Tuesdays, um, our whole leadership is here and our lead, uh, uh, head of sales is here. So we can, we hardly have enough places for everybody mm-hmm. to sit down actually. Um, and then as the week progresses, you know, the number of people decreases. I think that, that would make sense. I, I think we'd probably get people less on a Monday. I think Tuesday, Wednesday would be busy. Thursday would probably be busy um, because it's mostly when people go out to drink on a Thursday. Yeah. yeah. Well, we we had to have pre-lunch on Thursday. Uh, that's how you go. We don't have enough money for that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> guys don't get your hopes up it's not gonna happen <laughs> sorry guys so we might we might have between 40 and 50 people mondays and tuesdays in the office and then on friday 10 this is actually a common thing i've seen a few times uh in, in a few few different places is uh, two days a week a paid a paid for lunch yeah um and which is an just a very obvious way to encourage people in isn't it there you go there you go yeah um, so uh, back to those challenges. Um, so just sort of uh, in, in summary, ask your employees often how they are. Yeah. And tech for that, by the way. Is there any certain platform or anything you use for engagement surveys? Because I think that's interesting for the listeners. But people... Platform? Yeah. Um, yes, we do. We it, And it took us a lot of time. We actually started off with forms. Um, and Google Forms. It, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We realized that the, you... It, you cannot fully anonymize. You the um, admin, admin can always see the emails, and because we were going to do our um, diversity and inclusion surveys, and mm-hmm. we really wanted to understand better who our workforce is and who our individuals are and what they need and what they long for and what would help them, we needed um, a platform that was guaranteed that is going to be anonymous. Yeah. And so we use Jotform now. Jotform, yeah. Um, yeah. Give that. A it's point. it's um. Jot form. Jot form. Okay. Yeah. J O T form. And um, so we do we do um, uh, four surveys four months four times per year every every uh, three months and every quarter every quarter yeah and and there's a normal satisfaction survey NPS yep. or and so on it's about five questions always the same ones um, and then there is a deep dive one um, 
that is always different. Yeah. And so once per year, it comes to give you time to yeah. take action on it. And yeah, I was just going to say that. And, and so the first one was on um, uh, inclusion and diversity. And yep. the second one is on office satisfaction and, and yeah. you have everything you need to use your book. And then the third one, um, what was that about? Oh, the third one's actually coming. <laughs> it's going to be about career development um, and what people need in order to um, feel yes. that we're doing our best to help them progress. Yes. And the last one is going to be a bit about their business acumen yep. and their ability to understand the strategy and what else they need. And so they are quite in-depth. They have between 15 and 20 questions and um, that is sufficient for us to take action yep. uh, and then let that action actually have an impact and then do the same survey again. And, and you present back the actions to the company oh, yeah. to say, like, this is what we've changed. Because I think that's one, again, you're doing these forms, but then you make changes, but then you don't really announce that you've made these changes. Some people don't know that they've been made. We have a monthly all hands. Um, and in that monthly all hands, there is always a, a people and talent update. Gotcha. And um, so in the last one, for example, I gave an update on how our diversity and inclusion activities are going, what we've done, what impact they had, and, and so on. So, yeah. It just reminded me of another thing, all hands. So at uh, some point, we, I think we were very, very good with communicating changes, communicating in, in, in all senses. And then as we grew, I think we probably just got tunnel visioned and focused on the, some other things and communication lack. So I actually do an all hands every Monday morning, which is maybe slightly aggressive, but um, wait, let me change it. But we, we, How I'm not, is it? I'm not, it's only 30 minutes and I don't give uh, maybe as, as detailed a, an update as, as your monthly. So but... You have like a stand-up once a week, right? In the... Oh, we have a daily stand-up at daily the stand-up. with the full company. Yeah. So, so, I it's oh, white person from each team. Yeah, yeah. Or whoever wants to listen in. It's more similar to, oh, okay, yeah. So, yeah, it's all about what, you know, what, what was interesting yesterday or what did we achieve yeah. and what's happening today and do we need help from each other? So that's basically our weekly. Um, so Monday morning we'll kick off with what we achieved last week, mm. what didn't go so well, what we need to work on this week, what we've got coming up. Um, and then we have the dreaded, me anyway, um, anonymous questions. <laughs> so did you dread them? Because they, they can be brutal sometimes. Um, no, to hear it. Yeah, so, um, but that's been really good, hasn't it? It's actually allowed people... Um, Funny on a culture point with that though, because I feel like in the UK we make it anonymous because people don't feel like they can say these direct things to leadership. Sometimes in, mm. in the UK, I think as a culture we're quite apologetic and don't like confrontation. Whereas I feel like when I've stood in on German businesses versions of those, people are happy to ask questions in front of everyone and direct them at the leadership in front of everyone. We kind of anonymize them, but I think we do anonymize it. But people have the option to put their name on if they want. No one does. But I think what I've found anyway is that over the course of doing those, people are are more confident to have that conversation with you anyway. So you get very uh, a lot of people just having much more open um, and honest conversations with you because they can see your reaction to the anonymous questions, whether they're you know whether they're fun or whether they're difficult. Um, and you're just getting on an honest reaction so that they're, they're not scared of potentially asking you a 
a tough question straight away uh, into your face. So I think that that has been, you know, maintaining a level of communication has been um, a challenge that I think we experienced during our our sort of growth phase. Um, and ha- you know, bringing that back into the fold has certainly helped. Yeah, that that's interesting because when I arrived a year ago, um, the survey was not anonymous, and actually. It was even um, read out by the CEO. The results were read out by the yeah. CEO, and it said, you know, and and Rosie said so and so, and Bill said so and so, and and they were very positive, obviously, <laughs> always. And I love it. And the criticism was never about anybody in particular. But um, now I'm I'm joking, but obviously that, that is that is the case, and um, and it took us a bit uh, of time to get our heads wrapped around the fact that. Um, we needed to be courageous enough to make them anonymous yep. and give people a chance because you know what you say about the cultures might be true, um, but in my experience, it's all about creating an environment of safety. For sure. And all leaders always think that they're creating an environment of safety. Yeah. Everybody can come to me, and my people trust me so much. But I mean, we remember when we were in in, yeah. in their position, and it and it is not the reality. There's always a conflict of interest, yeah. and there's always a bit of fear of. Um, you know, what is it? What what is this going to do with me if yeah. Harry knows that I criticize something? And so we we then did it, um, and we anonymized the question, and we did get much more information. And um, it is sometimes a, b- a bit discouraging to realize that you get more information when people don't have to put their names down than when you ask them. But it's, but it's important. It's important to me. I read I read a thing that said that it's it's not so much that it's the leadership they're hiding their questions from, but it's actually a lot of the time their peers. Oh, so yeah. They, they don't want to be judged for the question they're asking in front of their peers a lot of the yeah. time. And that yeah. and I never realized that. I always thought that maybe they just didn't feel comfortable asking leadership and how it might be perceived in their career development if they asked that question. But yeah. and it's their peers as well. One more uh, thing, and, and by no means we've got it fixed and, and perfect, but if you're going to go down that route of, of asking people anonymously what their thoughts are, um, don't take it so personally. <laughs> Cause I think, personally not. I think we... Who said this? I will figure it out. And you can track back all of their other answers. I can know who this person is. Okay, um, so it's an engineer. Yeah. <laughs> Between the ages of. <laughs> yeah, that's true. We often, we're being guilty of that sometimes. But it doesn't matter because the reality is that's how someone feels. And, and whether it's, you know, right, wrong, or that's how they feel. That's how they feel. And it's important to know. Yeah. Um, and you can only do something about it if you actually ask and if you actually hear it. So I, I think it's enormously valuable. And as long as people ask, um, give you feedback anonymously rather than tell you when you ask them there is work to be done yeah i i think when we were particularly like maybe 25 30 people one of the things that i struggled with was all of the negative feedback trying trying to do something with everything um rather than seeing that this was just a, a negative response out of a a whole ocean of of positivity and actually nothing's probably needed you know, this was a, an outlier. This was an anom- anomaly. Um, uh, rather than being like, we're putting a six-month initiative around this very, you know, uh, remote response. So I think that that's maybe another thing that that's worth uh, 
noting. And that is something also that you learn, I think, from from a startup to to scaling. Because in a startup, whoever said something or complained about something or had a suggestion, you could just jump on it and do it. Yeah. Whereas now, the other day, somebody suggested to buy air purifiers for some of the office, some of the meeting rooms, and. What is what? Air purifier, so something like that makes... increase the quality of air. Exactly. Okay. Yeah, and whilst that that might be useful for that person who suggested it, when I did the office survey and I asked what else would you need, nobody ever said anything about an no. air purifier. <laughs> they talked about uh, insulating the rooms better because the sound carries, or they talked about. Did anyone talk about aircon? <laughs> no. Because. Not in Berlin. It gets quite sticky. In, in our Spanish office, we'll do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay. But you can know it's, it's 25 degrees in Berlin and we're all sweating a little. And, and so that gives you perspective it, and, and it tells you, okay, well, yes, this person passionately wants the air purifier, but there is many more people who actually need something yeah. else. And so. you have to look at your budget. You have to understand that, that you have to pick a few initiatives that are going <laughs> to have a bigger impact across the business right yeah, yeah yeah i think that was certainly something that we maybe uh fell foul of yeah um so as a closing tradition maria yes we asked the person that was last on the podcast oh. to write a question for the person that's next on the podcast nice. um they don't know who's next because often we don't um but but i know who Maduri is yes you do know Maduri. <laughs> yeah um and uh, she asks, given the current economic scenario and climate, what value does a talent leader bring into the business? It's a difficult one, isn't it? I think, I think you know, just to give some context, we were talking to Manjuri. A lot of uh, the podcast was about um, uh, personal brand and how talent uh, building her personal brand has enabled her to have a, a seat at the table, if you like. Yeah. Um, uh, from from a talent perspective, but when you are in the world of recruitment, mm-hmm. maybe more so recruitment, um, and you're not, and and in the current economic climate, we're not not many people are recruiting as aggressively. What other value can can a talent leader really bring to the table? Um, I wouldn't know where to start. I I am so thankful that we have a talent leader. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And I, um, I mean, additionally to recruiting, which is really important. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that what I would expect from our from our talent leader, I'd say, is to um, understand um, uh, how could I say this? Understand the soul of the organization because yeah. it's an ever changing world out there for sure we talked about it we talked about the market and we talked about the technology and we talked about the products and we talked about the economy and and we all know that whatever is we have on paper now is i'm not going to say invalid in six months but definitely invalid in one year for sure and but we're only going to be competitive if we have an identity as an organization if we stand for something yeah uh and that is difficult because we're building it. We're yep. growing, right? We we what are we teenagers maybe with a hundred people? Yeah, not even. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so um, you you have to stand for something, and that is difficult because it changes all the time. Particularly uh, under a hundred. Exactly. And so, how do you position the organization when you go out there and you talk to candidates, you talk to partners, you talk to you know whole networks? But what do you say about the organization? How do you s- sell yourself? Because it, it yeah. 
it can't just be um, a technology or it can't just be a product because mm. that will always change. You know, For sure. if, if, I, if I pitched um, the digital journey we set out to offer, it would probably sound fairly old-fashioned now yeah. uh, because the yeah, possibilities are strange. there are just so much... So, so what is it? Who is Altaos, and what does it really stand for? And yeah. and why is it interesting, attractive, um, trustworthy, mm. exciting? Why does it have huge potential? And I think that if a talent leader cannot grasp that, um, they can't pitch it, and they can't represent the organization. I mean, a talent leader is a bit like an ambassador of you. Absolutely. Yeah, we use the same terminology, and and I think you know a lot of what you're referring to there is a huge. Um, uh, understanding of the employer brand, right? Yeah. Um, and I think that's a really interesting, you know, when if you're in an organization as a talent leader that isn't doing a lot of recruitment right now, what are you doing to to really position your brand in the marketplace yeah. in order to benefit when you are recruiting? Exactly. Your, your brand is out there and, and you know, you're, you're, and I think that's something that, that you could do. Your window. Any, you know, all day and every day, uh, not just from a recruitment perspective. Um, what else, Bill? What else could a, a talent leader be looking at? Or what value can a talent leader bring? Well, I mean, everything that Maria said, but uh, and also adding back to... You can't just say that. Well, <laughs> whatever, Maria, whatever Maria said. Whatever Maria said, so uh, that was it. It's added. <laughs> It sounded better to me. Yeah. <laughs> Maria's always right. Um, but also I think that planning piece I mentioned earlier, I think internal SWOT analysis on current needs and what could go wrong in the future in teams as well. What have we currently got? What could we do different if we are going to start hiring again? Optimize the process. Yeah, I think really trying to fine-tune things because even though you might not be hiring now, you will be hiring. So that's mm. interesting. Maybe maybe running, um, you know, similarly to what Maria's suggesting around the forms, yeah, like understanding people's journey, yeah, on, onboarding, training, training managers, to onboarding, training, hiring. Every managers. single company I speak to always tells me that their hiring managers don't give enough feedback on the interview process, or the hiring managers don't write enough on the forms, and yeah. things like that. Um, they all can do with upskilling. Um, if you're really setting out what soft skills are needed from a person, and they're not interviewing based on those skills. That's a perfect time to train people internally as well. Yeah, we're picking things. that up in autumn now. Yeah. We're actually going to do a monthly recruiting training to get the Amazing. the quality of the questions um, up there. And it's great career development for these people mm-hmm. as well, hiring managers, to be able to say they've been trained in these areas. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Well, I would just simply say whatever Bill said and whatever <laughs> Nuya said. Um, so that would be my personal uh, answer to that question. Um, Maria, thank you so much for joining us. It's been a pleasure as always. Um, and, uh, that's a wrap. I think internally, I mean, you need, you need a certain level of transparency. Yeah. Um, I think that changes a little bit based on whatever your hierarchy is. So how transparent can you be about everything? Absolutely. And does everybody need to know everything all the time? Probably not. Um, definitely not. I'd say, (laughs) yeah. 